Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Game of Thrones 2, Electric Bukaloo. I'm your host, Anthony. This week, Steve and I cover The Queen's Justice. This is the third episode of the seventh season. We see the long-awaited meeting between Danny and John, the unsullied take Casterly Rock, and we say farewell to Lady Olena. Also, Bran returns to Winterfell, and then the question is, is this an emotional reunion, or is this completely devoid of emotion? Because Bran now has the personality of a tree. All right, after that discussion, I invited my friend Stephanie Barbe Hammer back to talk about her new book that's just been published. As you might imagine, podcasts run on favors among colleagues, and uh, Stephanie is more than just a colleague to me. She's an old friend, so I wanted to promote her book. It's called Pretend Plumber. If you have enjoyed Stephanie on this podcast, and if you enjoyed funny books, this is a great book. I had not read it when I interviewed her, but I have since read it, and it's probably my favorite of all of her books. So we talk a little bit about that. That's just about five minutes at the end. Summer reading, Pretend Plumber. Okay, without further ado, here is comic Steve Osborne. Steve, we're going to play underrated, overrated, or properly rated again. And we will begin with sliced bread. <laughs> I mean, it, it it's <laughs> it's elevated to the point where it is it's cons- it's the benchmark, right, of all inventions. <laughs> it, it really has become the benchmark, right? <laughs> of all inventions, I mean, we have spacecraft traveling uh, to Mars, collecting data and minerals. Yeah, but it can only be the best thing since since sliced bread. <laughs> Nothing has, to this day, I mean, that, that when you talk about radium, nothing has eclipsed, according to modern vernacular, nothing has eclipsed sliced bread. Now, that's going to be a big moment. This, The day that we say that's the greatest invention since something other than sliced bread yeah. is going to be like the day that November Rain took over Thriller as the uh, top video of all time. <laughs> so we're going to need an answer from you, Steve. Sliced bread. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say properly rated. <laughs> Um, really? Because yeah. I like to tear my bread apart. I mean, but I haven't been making a whole lot of sandwiches lately. So. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing about tearing your bread apart. Usually, like, you're on your way to the beach and you go, oh, crap, I didn't bring any uh, thing to cut this bread with. And so there's, like, a certain romance of taking and dipping it right into the Safeway brand spinach dip. And then mm-hmm. uh, and then you don't do it again for, like, another year. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but sliced bread... Um, For some people, it can be a daily occurrence that they engage with sliced bread. So there's not that many inventions. I mean, like I would say that to me, I would probably feel comfortable with changing uh, the the, 
probably the way we think a little bit and say like the greatest invention since squared toilet paper. Mm-hmm. But even then, I would make the argument that like, do we really need squares? I mean, who's who's going one square at a time? Like, what if like we need to do sheets? Yeah, yeah, I can see that. If toilet paper came pre-clumped, the fact that toilet paper is in squares is both aesthetically pleasing because it looks like a nice even square but also the more incremental you make it the more you can choose the size you want sure i would say that i would i mean if it weren't if if toilet paper weren't in the in the slices like like bread is sure um that would actually be okay because you talked about pulling out just ripping apart bread we could easily just rip apart toilet paper to our liking Mm -hmm. yeah it doesn't look as nice no, it I don't need my good. bread to look nice. I, I mean, I kind of because, like I said, the sliced bread presumes that I'm eating sandwiches. You could eat toast. Uh, again, you could toast a clump of bread. No, you can't. You don't make a toaster where you just shove, mm-hmm. shove. I have one. I have one. It's a. To- it's called a toaster oven. Yeah, that seems handy. And I can just and you just throw a wad of bread in there. No, just but the, I could. I want to toast the I outer could. edges of this ball of bread. I might do it just to prove you wrong. This fist of bread <laughs> needs to be toasted on the outside, and it needs to be soft on the inside. Nice. No, and here's the thing. I don't need my toilet paper to look nice either, because I know the end game. It presumes you're going to have guests and, you know. Oh, and I'm going to present my, my poop on top of it for them in a nice little square. <laughs> you're oh, going nice. to present your bathroom or loo in a manner that suggests that you're not a, a savage it's it's a ruse the whole thing is a ruse yeah, i know that's exactly exactly sometimes the ruses we choose say a lot about us if you're going into my bathroom to poop and you're mm-hmm. a guest mm-hmm. um, one of us has done something wrong <laughs> I disagree, man. I feel like <laughs> that's the height I, of intimacy. Honestly, you could come in with me. You could sit on the tub. We could we could I'll just present you a the square. <laughs> right. We'll deposit one square at a time because I want to keep this ruse going. Oh, how do you do it? All right, final category: civility. <laughs> overrated. Is it overrated? Because I think. I'm not saying that it's used a lot, but I'm just saying that people hearken to it. Like, oh, why can't we be more civil? Well, the fact that we can't shows that we need to stop talking about it. I think, okay, sure. I mean, I think you're right. I think that for for whatever reason, civility was overrated. Civility is a ruse. There, That's your ruse. And I think now it's a little underrated. Civility is squared toilet paper. Yeah. Well, you know how I feel about squared toilet paper. Right. But you agree it's a ruse. <laughs> It's the ruse I choose. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now let me let me ask you a different kind of question. Is Lady Elena is she civil? Because I think that many would say that she's uncouth. Sure. You know, she's direct. I think that in comparison to maybe a few other characters, maybe not in comparison to like the mountain. <laughs> uh but I'm I'm curious what you think. Is Lady Elena civil? I think, well, we're going to keep with this theme. I think that it is the ruse of civility. 
Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. I think that that's a lot of what's going on in uh, in the Game of Thrones world, right? I mean, I think the Varys, the Varys little finger back and forth, like before they split their ways, I think mm-hmm. was very it's a really good way to sum up the culture, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and 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 even when you don't, you know, you want to agree with Varys, um, but it was hard to disagree with Littlefinger's assessment. Well, no one's more civil than those two, right? And yet... Right, I mean... And yet their power sort of undermines their... You know, it, it the, the, the fact that they have power proves that the civility is a ruse. Right, and and the method in which they, they get it. Right, so Varys is a very interesting comparison to Littlefinger because he plays the... I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, no, you're here to survive for one thing. And the ability to survive suggests some level of power. Um, Cause you're not scraping by on the skin of your teeth here. Mm-hmm. You're, you're usually, you're usually surrounded by, by people with power who you serve that puts you in a position of, uh, you know, a favorable position compared to most, right? So he's like, even when he says everything he's trying to do is for the people because that's where he's from, it suggests a past tense, right? He's He is offering that which he is no, you know, to those who he is no longer really a part of, but he, he empathizes. So there is a sense of, there's a, you can, you can only be compassionate for something that you're, you're above. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you're right. There's a certain power dynamic at work there, and I think he knows that the common people don't have the kind of power he has. And I think he's aware. I think he's aware yeah, that yeah. he's also a survivor. But I think, the, yeah, but it's an interesting, you know, juxtaposition is a big is a big factor, I think, when it comes to how we rate anything. And I think we've already yeah through that, right? I mean... I mean, the very fact that we talked about sliced bread, we talked about how it compares to everything else going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and same thing with the civility, right? It's like, okay, well, compared to the mountain or compared to this person or compared to that, it's like, exactly. So that's, you know, that's how we define things is compared to whatever. And then in this particular case, uh, when you ask about Lady Olena, is she civil? It's like, well, she's, she appears to be, and that appearance is important. And compared to, you know, you start looking around and go, well, I guess she's the most civil that we've seen in some ways, but, but that doesn't necessarily make civility. It just means mm-hmm. less of the other, right? And so that's the same kind of thing with, with Varys. I mean, Varys compared to Littlefinger seems much more altruistic. You strip all that down and you're like, well, here's a guy looking to survive and not just survive, but looking to thrive, right? I mean, you, mm-hmm. you could have made the argument at one point that um, the High Sparrow was like, well, here's a guy who's just trying. He's... He's, he's not interested in, in thriving, but he's interested in serving. And then we find out, of course, that's not the case. But So the way that Olena dies at the end of this episode, you know, this, this exchange between her and Jamie, aside from the odd curse word, it's very polite. The whole thing is very sort of high society. And even the way she dies, she's going to die painlessly. You know, she takes her medicine, you know, like a big girl. Mm. And uh, you know, well, she does, but she also does it. She, well, she takes her medicine because she knows she wants to get the last word, and she doesn't want to get flayed or do exactly. 
so so that's exactly. not yeah so that was not a that was as soon as she drank it i'm like oh she's she's about to she's about mm-hmm. to drop some some uh some nuggets of, of yeah truth. see on the surface of it both jamie and elena are wearing their masks through this entire exchange i mean everything that everything about the whole thing like he's there to kill her right right you know she's there to reveal that she murdered joffrey right and so the whole thing, you know, the masks are important. The masks are kind of pristine. It's what keeps the whole system moving, right? Keeps the keeps the wheels greased. And yet these are two, like, murdering sons of bitches talking to each yeah. other. Like, every bit is murdering and sons of bitchy is, you know, the hound or, or brawn. And I think that maybe that's why those two are a little bit... Are, are interesting because they refuse to wear the uh you know the high society mask right uh, yeah and so and then it shows like you know and that that's sort of stripping down the idea that um that the higher up you are the more civil or more mm-hmm. you know proper it's just it's you've you've decided that you're going to have to put these airs on if that's what you're gonna try mm-hmm. to if you're going to navigate this culture, right? But which is interesting because she still does it up to the to the bitter end, right? I mean, she she lays out the 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 truth about how she had because she's you know that's this her last word, and she's like, look, I'm I'm going to die, but I'm, I'm I want to stick it, right? And so there's a fun little fun. I don't know if it's fun is the right word, but but in terms of parallels, right? You have um you know what Cersei does to Dorn Lady, I forget her name. Ilaria, yeah. Ilaria, yeah, and so that's very drawn out, right? And it's very this is this is my revenge. You took my my daughter, um, uh-huh. and she kind of loses the mask just a little bit, like when she says, "Why did you do that?" And then she kind of like collects herself and says, "Actually, it doesn't matter." Now, and you know, in my very staid tone of voice, I'm going to describe to you this horrible torturous scenario i'm gonna put you through right right okay so yeah and then so by contrast you have lady olena who's very you know also proper but at the same time she's like i already did this to you Mm -hmm. Um, and i need you to to know so like there is this little sense of uh kind of circular comeuppance now contrast with that my impression of the exchange between john and danny who finally meet right Mm mm-hmm my impression of John is like he doesn't have a mask. Like he he either never learned to wear a mask or he just hates masks or whatever it is. But he's everywhere he goes, he's John Snow and he's going to say exactly what's on his mind and he's quite vulnerable in this world that sort of runs with masks, right? The masks right. keep everything it's the ruse everyone's chosen. So but he's got none. He's just Jon Snow. Right. There was no there was no moment either where, like, I mean, he, you would think that there would have been a moment, like, if I'm going to be the king of the north, I can't do it as Jon Snow. And somebody somewhere would have to bless him as Jon Stark, right? Or something, like, give him the give him a new name or, you yeah, know. Yeah, and they didn't, and there's none of that. In fact, that even, I believe that even comes up, right? Like, Oh, yeah, because because Danny's got, like titles upon titles yeah that titles. that was great when davos <laughs> for the first time in the history of davos is pithy <laughs> didn't have much to say 
You stand in the presence of Daenerys Stormborn of House Targaryen, rightful heir to the Iron Throne, rightful Queen of the Andals and the First Men, protector of the Seven Kingdoms, the Mother of Dragons, the Khaleesi of the Great Grass Sea, the Unburnt, the Breaker of Chains. This is Jon Snow. He's king in the north. Look, I'm not a calm, I'm, I'm, I'm not a highborn man. I'm a common folk. I don't understand all the different titles and, and, and get on with it. <laughs> like before, before I introduce Jon Snow, let me tell you the story about my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I can count on that one hand how many titles Jon has. This hand specifically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a great scene. And um, and then, of course, Davos does get a little carried away with the monologue later. Right? Yeah, he has and, his moments. <laughs> I mean, he couldn't he couldn't keep it in. For yeah, long. yeah. And then John's like, "Hey, could you not talk about me being undead for a little bit?" <laughs> I just met her. There may be something here. I don't want her to know that I'm a zombie. Look, she's kind of hot. <laughs> not saying I'm interested, but also like maybe like like ease into the zombie thing. <laughs> uh yeah so those two though i think both of those two like they don't have much of a mask like even danny when danny's putting on airs i think that's who she really thinks she is right mm-hmm. she really thinks she is all of the all of those titles and she yeah. really does think that a proper acknowledgement of who she really is means that he's got to bend the knee yeah, I mean that's a big, big deal. I mean she's and and it, it is. Yeah, you're right. I think it, I think she's being true. Now whether or not she's being right or civil, that's another conversation. Mm-hmm. But but she definitely like we talked about this sort of building up of like her own press kind of a thing, mm-hmm. and it's and uh, and she makes some some compelling um, points right when she talks about everything that she's had to go through to get to where she is. It definitely. You know, you're like, yeah. I mean, if you, you know, you, you wear it. You know, you've 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 been through it. But you know, and John's kind of like, uh, yeah, I, I died. Okay, <laughs> like that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> but like, but John doesn't. But that's the weird part, and that's where I think John is like, he's just like, I'm really not, I'm not into that, right? And that's where it makes him kind of an odd king of the north, right? Is that uh, you get the sense that Rob would have been a lot more stomp his foot type of thing right maybe so and i think that there's something important about the way that those two have interacted with melisandre right because melisandre is pretty certain that john is special Mm -hmm. and that makes maybe john a little bit more suspicious of her like you're a bit too religious for me because i don't think i'm that special right Whereas Danny accepts Mel in and Mel says, actually, you're pretty special. And there's a prophecy that might include you. And Danny wants to read that like, well, I know that I am special. And uh, tell me more about this prophecy and, um, you know, give me more of the religious stuff. Because, and I think that it kind of gets revealed in this episode when she says, you know, she goes through this litany of all of the suffering that she's undergone. Which yeah. is not insignificant, right? 
Right. And she says, what's kept me through is my, is my faith, not in any God, not in politics or whatever, uh, but in myself. To modern Western ears, that sounds a little bit like, you know, believe in yourself, be true to yourself, that sort of thing. But I don't think that that's what she means. I think she really is reading her own press. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. I think she's like, I'm the religion here. I'm the only religion that matters. When she stepped out of the fire, I think that's when she became a believer. Right. Sure. Like that's right, right, that. Right. That is. No, I'm. I am this. And, that's right. Uh, that's and right. you can you can believe it or you can get burnt because this is the way it is. Like that's that's where I see the faith. Yeah. And, I, and that's what's kind of fascinating about this. The two of them coming together, right? I mean, this is this is a even though it's kind of, it feels understated in many ways because they're just sort of looking at each other and just sort of chatting, you know. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's there's a little bit of puffing up or whatever. But but John is so Johnny is to to some degree what Danny claims to be. Like Danny claims. She's like she, a woman of the people or whatever. But woman John of the really people. Is. She has one goal, and that is their best interest. Uh-huh. And John is like, look, I'm only here. I'm here against my counsel. I'm, I'm here against every recommendation. I'm, I'm yeah, here yeah. against even, you know, my, you know, my father's made this, some of these mistakes. I'm here because you have something that I believe will save my people. Mm-hmm. And really not just my people, but maybe all the people. And I care about that more than anything. And, but, you know, and even the not bending the knee moment isn't, it doesn't feel so much prideful as it is. If I bend the knee, like I'm, I can't, then my people aren't going to, going to buy what I'm, I'm trying. And, and like he, the whole thing is I don't, I didn't ask to be reborn. Mm-hmm. I didn't ask to be the king, but I, I'm, I, here I am and I got to do this. And Danny claims to be that, right? And I think even yeah. Tyrion is like, well, that's why we're all following her. But like we talked a little bit in the past about how, you know, yeah, that that, and I think he's got some dragon worship going on, right? Whereas John is, just, I think so. Yeah, John is is John is the real deal, and Ned was in many ways the real deal, and um, but he wasn't. He didn't seem as reluctant. I mean, reluctance, I think, is a thing that Ned and, and John probably maybe have the most in common. I think he's a lot like Ned in a lot of ways, and I think it may end up getting him killed. I think it's like, I mean, in other words, the circumstance, I think if he was in Ned's position, I don't know if he would do anything differently than, than Ned did. Right. Uh, yeah. If you look at what, if you look at what Ned went through, uh, yeah, I, I would, I would agree with that. I, it's hard to imagine. Matt, he does he have even more compassion than Ned? I don't know. It's a good question. He has a different he does a different role than Ned. I mean, they both have sort of taken off people's heads because they thought it was their duty to do it. Right. You know, he's been in different contexts. Like for instance, there's something about Ned I think that would have really thrived as a ranger up north of the wall. He's a direct guy. He's got, he's pretty good with a sword. Is you know? John is John better at the bigger picture to some degree? Like maybe uh, maybe, but well, I think Ned is big is better at the yeah. bigger picture. Whereas I think John might be just like, but at least right now in this situation, yeah, it's all it's all White Walkers. Like he could he he doesn't care about and he he even said it right. He says so much. It's like well, we're out here fumbling around or stumbling over each other. Mm. There's a real threat coming on. Yeah, that's not insignificant, right? And that is because that's a that's a huge moment, right? That is, 
that runs contrary to everything. And that is a that's a that has to to rub somebody like uh, Danny like the wrong way, or at least mm-hmm. chafe a little bit. Where it's like, look, I'm all in on the game, and Tyrion's all in on the game, and then in comes this guy speaking some language that nobody has spoken that we've we've run into at this mm-hmm. point. I mean, the mm-hmm. closest thing would be the, the high sparrow, but the high sparrow also was very agenda driven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had a mask for sure. Yeah. So, so John is like, look, there is a threat coming to us all. Like we can hit pause on this little game. Cause I don't think he cares enough about it anyway. So it's easier for John to, to look at this kind of threat mm-hmm. because as far as he's concerned, he's like, look, I like remember when Rob was questioned, like uh, I think by uh, Talisa was like, Hey, what are you going to do? If you, yeah, sure. If you take him off the throne, then what? Well, I'm going to come back home. It's like, well, then what? Then somebody else can just fill in. So, he, so if you either do this all the way, or or why do it at all? And for John, right. he's like, he's like, look, I'm, I didn't, he didn't, he didn't, <laughs> he was going to leave the wall. He didn't want anything to do with anything. And then, well, Rickon is there, and it's like, oh, okay, great. So, a little meta commentary here. I, I really love this exchange between Tyrion and John, where John is like. Look, I'm telling you that there's an actual undead army coming for you. How are, how are you not taking this seriously? Tyrion replies with, it's just kind of unreasonable. What you're asking Daenerys to do is just kind of unreasonable. Unre- then he says, people's minds aren't made for problems that big. Mm. Right? And I think that, and he says, it's almost a comfort to confront a monster like Cersei because... You know, she's, you know, Cersei just looks the part of, you know, like the the evil queen or whatever. Right. And in, you know, sort of post-show, George Martin said in so many words that, that the White Walkers are something of a metaphor for climate change. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's, you know, he's talking about, hey, look, we're all squabbling over politics and... There's this real threat on the horizon, and here we are. So it's it's almost like I, I really like this exchange between the two because you're right that John does see this big picture. Like you know, this is all we're all children playing at you know the Game of Thrones. When in reality, there's this you know the the end of the human race as we know it is sort of right right beyond the, the, the horizon. Well, and it's a good moment too, I think, because. It's easy to be, and I think, and that, and that's what I've been saying kind of throughout the podcast is that like that's that's what the the show really feels like, right? Is that that while well, like, there's this major threat, and they've done mm-hmm. a really good job as showrunners and and uh, as an author, I assume too, um, in showing you just enough of that danger, and then you forget about it. You totally forget about it because because a threat like Cersei is more comforting because you can get your brain around it, right? Yeah. And so, as a, as an as an audience member, you're like, "Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right." And I think that that has been such an effective mm-hmm. uh, use of of this threat, right? Because you get caught up in it. You get caught up in all the intrigue, mm-hmm. and then and then it's like, "Yeah, and no, all that means nothing if they just come through with zombie giants and wipe everybody out." And that's a real thing right now. Um, and that I, I, that part is 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 pretty. It's pretty great. It's it's one of my favorite elements of of the show. And I really like too, that, you know, you're, you're kind of 
for the most part, I think people are rooting for, uh, for Danny for all the right reasons, right? Mm. You know, because, hey, she may be the one to stop Cersei from all of her nonsense. There's- well, she has the tools to combat the White Walkers. Right. right, so there's all these things about it. And then when John comes in and says we're all children, I really like, I mean, that's where Tyrion, even though the, the some of the battle hasn't gone his way, Tyrion's value so so far has really been shown in the John Danny interaction because she could have easily just thrown him out, done whatever. But he's like, no, we're, he he's he's the Jiminy Cricket. That's like he didn't say you were a child. He said we were all my mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. He he, you know, basically, he's like he's not denying your um your status, but he's saying by comparison, you know, <laughs> that's so. I think that there's something really valuable there because. She is, if she's a true believer in herself, it's hard to 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 hear anything from another uh, angle. And Tyrion, this you know, it almost doesn't matter what happens in the other battles, even though that's sort of her goal. Like if he moves her towards this White right. Walker, then 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 so so that's where it's like it's an interesting play too, a very subtle way to show that Tyrion's value here is is still valuable, even if even if tactically he may not be you know. You know, you're on me of you know poison the well there or whatever. Boy, you're on man. He he makes an entrance. You're on. comes in there like he's Tywin on a horse. He comes in. I was actually thinking all of that bad boy energy that Jamie used to have. Euron's mm. got that and then some. Oh yeah, and he's made it very clear that he doesn't think Jamie's got even an ounce. Of- oh yeah, and he comes in and Jamie's looking at him like this guy. He's like he's a legitimate badass, and he's probably better than me at this point, and he'll probably take my sister away. And there's really nothing I can do about. I mean, if any, in, by comparison, Euron is just making Jamie look impotent. Oh yeah, uh, and I think Cersei knows exactly what's happening. I think she knows exactly what's happening. Uh, I think Cersei is doing a really great job at using the the resources that she has. She tells Euron, you can have what your heart desires. In other words, you can have me Mm. when the war's won. And uh, and so she can still keep Jaime on the hook. She's got, uh, you know, she's got Euron on the the hook. She's got the Iron Bank on the hook. Yeah, uh, yeah, she can get, here's the thing. She's like, look, if if this war gets won... um, you know, and then Jamie, you know, if Jamie wants to off Euron or Euron gets mm-hmm. killed in battle, she's like, all the better. All this goes in there. And, you know, it's like she's never. She, she, there's a. I mean, she's she's all about just look, get this done. Everybody, she's using all these men as pawns at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, and, that's right. <laughs> Jamie, I mean, and J- <laughs> Heather's whole take is like, ah, is Jamie gonna die this episode? He's gotta die soon. He's getting pretty boring. <laughs> All right. Well, we did have okay. Lady Elena, uh, she dies, and in addition to that, she tells Jamie that Cersei's gonna be the death of him. Yeah, which almost seems a little bit like a portent, right? Yeah. And then we have Mel Telveris. She says, "I've got to die in this strange land, as do you." Do you? Yeah. So, or just like you, or whatever. And so it's almost like. 
the writing's on the wall for a lot of these characters. And and so probably Heather's probably really right. Like just you're just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop for a number of characters here. I mean quite literally, you know. You, you, if anyone knows that Varys is going to die, you think that Mel would have some like you almost believe Mel when well, she yeah. says that kind of stuff. Uh I don't know. I mean, she's she's been wrong before, but which is yeah. I mean, that is a, is is a fun little version of Mel, which like and you and I kind of made the comment. I'm like, man, she's been around for a long time. She's got to have a pretty good batting average if right now she seems to be befuddled. <laughs> she was always burning the right people. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, there was an interesting theme of um, sort of the father's sins. Should the children be held accountable for their father's sins in this episode? So, like, Danny, you know, Danny's acknowledging that her father was evil, and and uh, you know, she she ends up asking John for forgiveness. That's a little olive branch that she's offering, and John turns it around and says, "Yeah, no, you're." You're not responsible for your father's sins, uh, and at the same time, I'm not beholden to my, what my my ancestors' vows. Yeah, that was it. Was kind of a fun little complicated back and forth because one hand she'd be like, "Oh, I'm not responsible for this," but then she would still hold him accountable for the, you know. So it was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was great. Now, okay, I want to talk about what wasn't great. All right, so that scene went on forever, and it really deserved all the space it took up. I thought. Yeah, I agree. And because it just felt like there was so much time spent on Dragonstone in that throne room and with the back and forth and the different, you know, Davos has to talk with John and then John has to talk with Danny and then John has to talk with Tyrion and Tyrion has to talk with, I mean, all of that is worthwhile. And I felt like that was almost an entire episode in and of itself. And then the second half of this episode had some really odd pacing issues. It's like Jamie's at King's Landing, and now he's in the you know he's back in the middle of you know High Garden, and you know that you have this whole siege of Casterly Rock, and then you have right after that a siege of High Garden, and it's almost like they're they were pushing like four episodes into like a half of an episode. Which so this goes back to like. Uh, we talked about how this is a truncated, we have two yeah, truncated yeah. seasons. That's right. Um, and, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, it, and, you know, you need that space in between. And there's the sense of like, oh, well, I read one thing said, oh, well, it was supposed to be 10 episodes. This was supposed to be the final season. And then they end up giving you some extra episodes because yeah. they make a season eight out of it. But then even that feels like, well, I read something else that said, oh, there's supposed to be 10 seasons total. So this is still condensed. Um, so it, it's it it's almost as if they see the end, and I don't know when they make these decisions, right? I mean, they've already filmed a lot of this, I assume. Yeah, well, yeah, well, what? So, yeah, I think that this is an editing choice, right? Because 
you've got all the footage and then you have to decide how to cut it and somewhere along the way they decide to just press fast forward mm-hmm. and it's almost like and i get it you know you've got this massive ensemble cast and how are you going to tie everything up well you're going to have to fast forward a few of these plot lines these are some pretty major plot lines to fast forward right yeah especially when you're like oh here's uh here's the unsullied getting ready to take it you know and they're like oh yeah and they take it <laughs> well i think as part of i mean so th- that the pacing of this episode felt different than any other episode. Mm-hmm. It felt like both the fast forward and they were doing a Tyr- Tyrion's sort of heist type um, voiceover of a siege. We have not seen that before. And I'm not saying that it wasn't necessarily effective, but it certainly didn't feel like Game of Thrones. So far, I mean, season seven doesn't feel like it's drag well i think that it's no no it's it's not i don't think it's a drag i do feel like it's a little bit so far it's like am i watching game like i people people have fallen in love with game of thrones and now they're tinkering with it Mm -hmm. it's like all these new baseball rules it's like okay people have loved this game for 150 years Let's add 14 new rules and see yeah. how people like it then, you know? Right, right. And it's like, yeah, but you had you had a method, and it was working pretty well. Like, did you need Ed Sheeran? Probably not. Right. Did you need to push four episodes into one episode? Probably not. So right. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think people are starting to get a little suspicious at this point. Like, are they fast-tracking this thing? Are they really giving? Because I think a lot. Of, I think what would normally happen with all of these plot lines is that you do an episode like this in three episodes, and then you'd give me a little bit of the Hound mixed in, and you'd give me a little bit of you know some of these B type characters' stories just to kind of hook me along, and you'd stretch it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's almost like. Nope, let's kill the B type characters and let's let's push the A characters together because we gotta get where we need to go. Yeah, no, and that but but it seems like there's there's an inevitability of that that that's gonna like as you start moving towards resolve, even if it ends well, there's like, well, there's a reluctance to go there. I think mm-hmm. as a, as an audience member, right? Because like, okay, here's the big Danny and Jon Snow moment, right? But let's be real. Uh, a season ago that wasn't even an option yeah. no one gave a shit no one gave a shit that those two may meet because it's not even on the radar and then once it starts to be on the radar within a few episodes they meet right like and i guess the old yeah. game of thrones might be two seasons before we finally get to it but you don't have two seasons right so that's the yeah. other part of it is at some point it's going to come to an end and you have to you have to move these pieces together and you're going to do right. it in a way that no matter what can't, it, it, you're going to have to start moving these pieces. Yeah, that's right. It's kind of a give and take because, you know, there were a couple seasons there where I was kind of thinking, you know, Danny's just spinning her wheels and I know she's supposed to be an A character, but I kind of, I'm kind of bored with all of the stuff in Marine, right? Right. 
So now he, we have the like A character and A, you know, A one character and A B character in the same room together, and Danny is really interesting to me right now. Mm-hmm. And so you gave me that, and that's thrilling. But you took away a fair amount of, you know, other other things that made me like Game of Thrones. I don't know. I mean, I think I think that there's there's something that's Okay, this is how a lot of superhero movies are. It's like the third act is always the problem. Mm-hmm. Sure. You feel like, well, we got to give the fans a spectacle. And I kind of feel like season seven and eight for Game of Thrones is the third act. And okay. So the question is, are you going to you know, do this slow knife approach or are you going to do the spectacle approach? No, and that, and that's fair. And that's one of my pet peeves, right? It's like... Like, that's where I think Man of Steel was such a bummer. Um, Man of Steel sets up, and it, like, it could be really playing with some of the things that I find the most interesting about Superman, and then it becomes a spectacle, and I'm like, this is the least I anything I want. So there is that potential. But there also is, you know, if the third act, in many cases, if the first two acts are done well, the third act is almost bound to disappoint because it's moving towards conclusion. Unless you're going into it thinking that that's what I want. I mean, you you go to these Fast and Furious movies thinking, I want to see some kick-ass car chase or whatever. Or you, you go into like a John Wick movie thinking, I'm going to see nonstop third act from beginning to end, right? Mm-hmm. So if you know that that's what you want to see going in, that's fine. But if I go in thinking, okay, this is House of Cards set in the medieval period. Sure with some magic peppered in, and then at the end you're giving me, like, Iron Man 2. Sure. Then I'm not going to be super excited about how it ends. No, and I and that, that makes sense. I mean, like, and that is, uh, yeah, but I, I just feel like it's such a, it's such a, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Mm-hmm. That's um, true. If you, if you make it long and drawn out and it just sort of ends with the, the slow knife, like you say, um, you're going to have people like, well, that's what I mean. I've been doing that all, all along. Well, and I will say this, talk about slow knife. When Littlefinger talks to Sansa and says, here's the secret. Everyone is your enemy. Everyone is your friend. Every possible series of events is happening all at once. Live that way and nothing will surprise you. Everything that happens will be something that you've seen before. I kind of felt like that's a great Game of Thrones line. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the guy that plays the long game. This is the guy with the slow knife. And he's giving his best advice to the person who I want to have that advice. Mm-hmm. And so that was a wonderful Game of Thrones moment in a pretty decent episode, right? Yeah. And so then the question is, am I going to quibble over pacing issues or am I just going to enjoy those moments? And I think that in general, these last couple of seasons, you kind of have to do that. You kind of have to say, I'm just going to focus on that one really cool Game of Thrones moment because that's that's going to bring me enjoyment. And I'm going to have to overlook these pacing issues and, you know, some other stuff that in other words, I think these these episodes can be enjoyable. And I think that a lot of times fans who are really invested will simply choose to focus on the parts that don't work. Right. 
because uh, the bar is just so high. I'll tell you what, Steve, if I needed anyone to help me construct an Ikea uh, piece of furniture, Sam would be my guy. <laughs> I so... he, lo- he looked in the book. He followed the instructions. How did you do this? Um, I, 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 read the, I read the instructions. <laughs> but here's the funny thing, man. He's That's... like the IT guy. It's like, how, how on how on earth did you fix this thing? I went on YouTube and I watched the video. Well, that's exactly it, right? Like, I don't know how many times we'll go someplace and uh, like we'll bring a dessert or we'll bring some sort of a dish. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is fantastic. I just, just follow the recipe. <laughs> some people got it and some people just don't like, got like it. Like cocktails. Like, how did you come up with this? Well, I looked up and you're like, it would be a good cocktail. And this is one that came up. <laughs> And then I made it, and they were right. I just measured it out, I guess. Yeah, and that's and that's the other part is that I know a lot of people when it comes to cooking or cocktails, they they don't do the measure out. They kind of eyeball. I have a lot of times they're like, oh yeah, I just sort of sort of see, you know, I just throw in the booze. And I'm like, yeah, well that's the like cocktails that people will be like, man, those are delicious. But when I go home and make it, I just can't ever seem to recreate. It's like, yeah, because you want more booze in it. And I get it. Uh-huh. You can afford to do that because you go to a bar and they're like, hey, you're only giving me one and a half ounces. I want two, two and a half, three. It's like, okay. Then the recipe changes. <laughs> you're not going to have – like, this is really different. Like, yeah, because it's more alcohol. They actually – they know how much alcohol they're going to give you, so they do the rest of the stuff to balance that. You just – you can modify your recipe if you want to add more booze. But I don't know. Some, yeah. Sam. So Sam could be – Sam could make a mean Ikea – advisor but he also would make a great bartender Mm -hmm. i think actually that that may be his calling i think that because if you go up to the bar i mean he's well read he's he's a great conversationalist he's always gonna be you know he's gonna lend you an ear he's gonna he's gonna be polite he's gonna be kind and he's gonna make you a kick-ass drink yeah if john is king i want there to be a master of cocktails and i want it to be sam a Cheers reboot where Sam has a little pub. <laughs> I mean, he's already got the name. <laughs> Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name And they're always glad you came You want to be where you can see Our troubles are all the same You want to be where everybody knows your name It's a fitting compliment perhaps to Game of Thrones because it is as hopefully as funny as Game of Thrones is serious and creepy, sure, sure. it's set in Los Angeles rather yeah. than Westeros, although sure. L.A. has its magical side. <laughs> um, but I share with Martin, as different as our books are, I share with Martin his interest in kid protagonists. Yeah. Because the protagonist of, of Pretend Plumber is kind of a Game of Thrones age. She's 13, almost 14. Right. And that's an age that's particularly interesting to me in terms yeah. of uh, how that how that such a person sees the world. So tell me about your main character. Uh, 
just name and what maybe what what's her what is she worried about i'm curious about okay. those two yeah. things she's worried about a lot actually her name is saracene anfang oh, and good. anfang is german for beginning so it's a great uh -huh. it's a great last name good. she's a precocious queer curious uh -huh. los angeles teenager who is also jewish and she is really fed up with her wealthy but kind of incompetent uh, white collar family. Mm. She has very serious plumbing problems in her house in Los Angeles. This fancy house, the plumbing isn't working. Everything <laughs> is backing up. Uh, no one knows how to fix it. No one knows what to do. No one knows who to call. And she decides at that point, where as all the sludge is backing up, that she's going to run away and become a plumber. Oh, interesting. Oh, so she's not going to fix the problem in her own house. She's going to learn how to become a plumber. She's, she's gonna... had it with, right. the, with, with the whole family. Uh -huh. So she runs away, and this is, uh, you know, in quotations, to her grandfather's condo on Wilshire. So she has to get on the bus <laughs> and, and, go, and go to his place. That's her plan. Uh -huh. What she doesn't know is that her godiva chocolate eating practical kabbalah practicing grandmother has other plans for her is that ah okay so there is magic uh -huh. in the in the novel and there are some famous spirits from the jewish past that and, appear oh interesting okay so it sounds like family members and spirits and pipes are conspiring to create problems for our our heroine for saracene yeah, yes yeah. yeah very good so she has a lot to worry about she has a lot to worry about but she um is is not the smartest person but she has a lot of empathy as her therapist has told her so she feels confident that she can figure things out okay I can't wait. I absolutely can't wait. This is fantastic. All right. Now, um, how do people get their hands on this? I, I'm assuming that I will put this out, you know, either close to when people can purchase it or shortly, you know, either shortly before or shortly after. So maybe it should be available. It'll be available in April okay, or, good. or certainly sometime after that. And you can order it from your favorite bookstore. Wonderful. Fantastic. And and uh, people can search uh, Stephanie Barbie Hammer. Correct. And they might find your website, which is a website devoted to magical realism. Do, do I That's have that right. right? It's called Writing Unreal. Okay, Writing Unreal. And then the publisher's name is what? It's Inlandia Books. Oh, Inlandia Books. Inlandia. I'm writing this down. Inlandia Books. And you can also find my author page on Facebook uh -huh. and uh, you can also find my books on Amazon. Well, I'm sure that many of our readers will want to do that because you've been such a lovely and frequent guest that I'm sure that many, many of our readers have fallen in love with your voice and might want to see it on the page as well. Oh, shucks. Well, I appreciate that. Well, Saracene is an amazing character. She's my favorite character that I've ever created. And she has an amazing voice. And I hope readers will check her out because it's an adventure that does not disappoint. Absolutely. Thank you, Stephanie. 
You bet. Thank you so much, Anthony. I really appreciate you. 